I've tried a variety of different podcasting outlets. And the one thing that's always bothered me is the fact that I have to pay a monthly fee to do something that I love to do. And that's talk to the audience. But with Anchor, they make it simple and make it easy for you to do a podcast. Let me explain. First of all, and the most important thing right out of the shoot, it's free. F-R-E-E. Free. Wow. You can't beat free in this day of age. You can record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. So if you're sitting there and you have a thought, you're on the couch, you're in the bathroom, you're at work, just whip out your phone, download the Anchor app on your phone, hit the record button, you can be done, edit, and bam, you're set. It'll go to, if you have a Spotify account, Apple Podcast, and many, many more. And you know what the cool thing is? Another thing, cool thing, I know there's so many cool things here. You can make money from your podcast. It doesn't matter how many people listen, you can make money. For your one-stop shop, go to Anchor right now. Download the free, yes, once again, you keep hearing this word, everyone. Free, F-R-E-E, or go to anchor.fm to get started today. Hello, everybody. Steven Milhausen here of Sporting News and the Zone and the party host of the Walkway to Fight Club. And before we get started, just want to thank everybody for listening to the audio version and the video version of the Mike Tyson versus Roy Jones Jr. postponement reaction podcast. I want to thank everyone so much from the bottom of my heart. Thank you. Did really, really well. Really exceeded my expectations. So thank everybody so much for that. If you want to watch, if you watched on YouTube, or if you're listening to this for the first time, or watching this for the first time, scroll down, click that like button. But more importantly, hit that subscribe button. We're inching, inching, inching. We're on a, on the right way. But please, 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 make sure you guys hit that subscribe button. If you like the video and the audio as well, make sure you click the like button as well. If you're listening on the audio version. Whatever podcasting platform you listen to, whether it's iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Anchor, Overcast, there's like 16 gazillion podcasting platforms. It blows my mind of how many podcasting platforms there are. Just make sure you guys download, subscribe, rate, and review. If you're rating, give it the five stars. There's really, there's only one thing you can do. Give it the old Rob Van Dam five-star frog splash. Just do it. No questions asked. And if you don't, I will talk to RVD, and he will make sure you guys do get the five-star frog splash. Make sure you guys do that. We're also on the podcast. Is also follow the Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash the walkway to fight club. And also we're on Twitter at walkway fight and also the podcast. You can follow anything going on revolving the podcast on Instagram. Just go the walkway to fight club later on this evening. There will be a Wednesday night war podcast. Daryl Rivera will join me and we will talk about the shenanigans going on this evening with AEW dynamite and WWE's NXT for all that this weekend, big pay-per-view UFC 252 taking place at the apex in Las Vegas, the main event, the trilogy 
for the undisputed heavyweight champion of the world, champion Stipe Miocic meets off with the one and only DC, Daniel Cormier. Daniel Cormier beat Stipe Miocic the first time around in July of 2018 by first round knockout to become only at the time the second fighter to hold two titles simultaneously as he was also the light heavyweight champion at that time. They rematched one year later, almost one year later, 13 months later, UFC 241 out in Anaheim, California. Cormier had things going his way. Stipe Miocic adjusted his game plan, started attacking the body, and finished Daniel Cormier in the fourth round to regain the UFC heavyweight championship of the world. Stipe had an eye injury. He was out for a while, and everything going on with COVID-19. He's healthy. Cormier is ready, and they were going to meet on Saturday night, UFC 252. And I'm not going to plug it, but it is on ESPN Plus pay-per-view. Should do very well, and we'll get into the preview of that later on this week. But the point of doing all this today is Daniel Cormier has, in the buildup, has said, this is going to be it. Win, lose, or draw, I'm going to be retiring after UFC 252. Do I believe him? That's for another conversation, and we'll have that conversation. That will be up on Thursday. But on Wednesday, we're not worrying about that. We're going to go along with he's going to retire. So what I did is I went back in the vault. And we're going to do this a little bit more, but I wanted to go back into the vault. Because I remember the first time I talked to young scrapping DC Daniel Cormier. And he was only six fights in. He was getting ready. He was co-headlining a Strikeforce Challenger. Who remembers Strikeforce? And he was going to be facing Devin Cole in the co-main event of the evening. The show was in Nashville, live on Showtime. The main event was Tyron Woodley against Tarek Safdie. And think about that for a second. Tyron Woodley was headlining over Daniel Cormier. My, how things have changed in over nine years. And just like looking at that was like, whoa. You know, and I was thinking about it. I'm like, you know what? Let's see if I can find the interview that I did with Daniel Cormier. So I did. I did the old Google machine, and lo and behold, I found it. And I did the interview in right a couple days before the fight. I did it on January the 4th, 2011. And January 2011... This podcast was called the Fight Club Chicago. And I wasn't even a year into the game. It's a strapping young buck. Where was I living at the time? I was living in I was living in Chicago, Illinois. And podcast was growing. And we were only a couple months in when I interviewed right at I interviewed Tom Atencio, who ran Affliction talk then and then the big interview that really got me going and it was only not even three almost three months in was an interview with john jones as he was getting ready to headline against vladimir matushenko and that was through when that card was on versus and when versus was owned by nbc i 
the program director, Peter Ferreri, a good friend of mine, um, had contact there and they reached out and he's like, hey, do you want to do this? And I'm like, I jumped right on it and that interview just, interview went haywire. It went in a good way. It went, caught fire. It was all over the place and that really, I think we did like, God, it was, we were on iTunes that week. I was the top, I was in the top 50 podcasts of iTunes for a seven minute interview with John Jones and it got, it just caught fire. It picked up all over and kind of put me in a path. I led me to today and where I'm at, you know, with sporting news and the zone and the zone news and led me on this wayward path on this incredible journey that I can't believe I'm still on. And I get to pinch myself every day. Cause it's like, man, I'm in the game still. And it's 10 years later. Um, and it led to an interview like this. And because I remember when this car came out, I'm like, man, I kept hearing about this Cormier guy. Now I liked it. I was like, man, two time Olympian, all American at Oklahoma state and an absolute stud NCAA champion. And, and, you know, finished fourth in the Olympics and the tragedy that happened in the 08 Olympics and the tragedy of losing his daughter in three months when she was, three months old and pro wrestling situation. And I know he had, he had some dreams of pro wrestling and like, man, this is a great story because you, you get, and then I watched some of his fights and you're like, okay, he already competed a couple times in strike force and fought all over the world. And he was going into this fight. He was six and oh, you could tell strike force saw something in him. I remember talking to Scott Coker at the time who ran strike force, but a month beforehand they were in, St. Louis, and I had a conversation, and he's like, I think Cormier can be the guy. He's like, people are, you know, I've had, I had my eye on him for the longest time. I think he can, I think he can be the future of MMA. And you look, and Scott hit it right on the head at that time. I mean, who knew it would have led into this? And, you know, one of the, the greatest all-around fighters in the history of combat sports, one of the sports, big, a big draw for sport, commentator for the UFC, you know, he works for ESPN. So it's like, you know, he's had opportunities to do, try out for commentating with WWE. And it's just one of these things to where you don't know it then. I was happy for the interview because I think like, I saw something in him. And I'm like, man, I'm like, that's the guys I liked interviewing at the time. I was interviewing everybody at that point. I couldn't, I couldn't, people were coming to me left and right. And this opportunity came to me. And I'm like, let's do it. I had no injury, no offense to Devin Cole. I was all about, it was all about Daniel Cormier. And, and I've never, I talked one time about it with Cormier. This was before the Alexander Gustafson fight. And me and him were just talking. I'm like, man, I'm like, I know you probably don't remember this, but man, I talked to you. You were in your first co-main event of the Strike Force show. There was a name. He's like, yeah. He's like, he's like, we talked wrestling, and I told him, and he remembered the stories like we were talking about. He's like, man, I barely, I don't really, I've ever talked about that with people, and and it just meant a lot. And I've seen Daniel at different shows, and we'll chat for a minute or two, and you know, and he's he's a busy guy. He's got to go off on his merry way, and but one of the all-time great fighters, not just fighters, but human beings in general, family man. 
you know, he genuinely, he loves kids just like I do. God, I'm like, I, I don't know what I would do without my children, but an amazing guy, an amazing athlete. And this interview, God, man, this was all over. This was all over the MMA sites. This made Yahoo Sports. As we were talking about, it wasn't even about, like, yeah, we had a lot of fun, but the thing that got picked up was about body structure. And it was a question that was posed to me on the underground. I don't know, this very popular MMA platform, MMA.TV, the underground is amazing. And I haven't been on it in a long time, but definitely go check it out, guys. And I was like, man, like, this is people on the underground, this, I already knew it was big, but I'm like, okay, and then I'm like, I had gotten a tip, like, hey, you made Yahoo, and I'm like, and I'm like, nah, and I was like, whoa, and then everywhere picked it up, just like this little tidbit that wasn't, I didn't make much of it, and I'm like, it just blew up, and another big interview, and it's like, okay, like, and that's kind of, and I listened to this interview a couple hours ago, and I'm like, man, I was too fast. I said, <laughs> and I called him at the end. I think I called him Danielle. Danielle Cormier. <laughs> it's like, what a, what a, what a freaking goof. But that was, it gave me, come on guys. It was, what year was this interview? January of 2011. So over nine years ago. Still a young buck. I hadn't been doing this long. So if please forgive me if I screwed up at all in this interview, please I don't. It's not who I am now, but this was a lot of fun, and I'm gonna sprinkle in another Daniel Cormier interview I think on Friday, because and it was the interview I was just talking about. We talked right before the Alexander Gustafson fight, and with another good interview with DC. But this interview, man, we went, went really went through the game in here and just. He talks about how he initially got, why he got in, how he got into amateur wrestling, and and the story that led to it into the first class he took, which I thought was just so intriguing, and who his favorite rest, pro wrestler was at the time, and who at the time in 2011 who his favorite pro wrestler was back then, um. Being thrown to the wolves and strike force, and why you know why at that time, two hundred and five pounds wasn't an option. Now I thought a very interesting antidote at the end when he talked about how he was helped when he helped Kane Velasquez in the preparation for when Velasquez beat Brock Lesnar in October of twenty ten to become at UFC one twenty one to become the heavyweight champion of the world. I think a very good chat with Daniel Cormier. If you're listening to this on YouTube, subscribe to the channel, like the video, and also if you're listening to the audio version, whether it's iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or your favorite podcasting platforms, please download, subscribe, rate, and review. It it really, really, really helps. I greatly appreciate it. I would really appreciate it if you guys did that for me. But right now, here is an interview I did in January 2011. With the former two-time UFC light heavyweight champion, the former UFC heavyweight champion, the former Strike Force Grand Prix heavyweight champion, two-time Olympian, 
All-American wrestler. And man, hopefully one day he can live out his dream and be a WWE superstar. The one and only DC, Daniel Cormier. Joining us right now, he will be competing at Friday night, January the 7th at the Nashville Municipal Auditorium, live on Showtime, 11 Eastern, 10 Central. He is in the co-main event against Daniel Cole. He is Daniel Cormier. Daniel, how's it going, buddy? What's going on, man? How you doing? I'm not doing, man. How's everything with you? You're the big star. You're the talk of MMA this week now. Uh, everything's going good, man. Just got done training. Uh, sparred a little bit today and, and uh, did a little pads. Uh, everything's going good, man. You know, we're kind of rounding out the year. Had a great year for our gym. He was going to say, you know, I was going to get right into that. What a great year for AKA in 2010. You had Cain Velasquez winning the UFC heavyweight title against Brock Lesnar. You fought five times this year. You know, John Fitch had a great year. John Fitch, John's got a big fight coming up. Herschel Walker's got a big fight coming up at the end of January against Scott Carson out in San Jose. You know, it, overall, how do you view the year of 2010 for American Kickboxing Academy? I really, I think we had a breakout year, man. Not only did Kane fight for the championship, we had a cost fight for a championship, and also coach the Ultimate Fighter, uh, Fitch uh, continuing to do what he's done so far. Josh Thompson has uh, bounced back from his loss to Gil Melendez before his recent setback, winning two fights this year. Uh, not to mention Mike Kyle re, 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 uh, having a rebirth in his career over the course of 2010. So we've had a really good year uh, collectively, man. I think. Um, it's springboards us into 2011, and, and people can expect, you know, bigger and better things from our team. A lot of people do know your story. You were an All-American in Oklahoma State. You were part of. You were two times part of the Olympic team. You weren't able to compete in 2008 due due to the kidney failure. So, what? Is, how did you? What led you to American American Kickboxing Academy? Uh, honestly, man, it's Dwayne Zinkin. You know, I think uh, every time you hear our guys our guys fight, you hear that name, uh, Zinkin Entertainment, Dwayne Zinkin. It's uh he, he's he's a recruiter man he's taking a recruiter's approach to uh to finding fighters for mixed martial arts you know and this guy called me in 2001 uh, asked me if I would be interested in doing MMA he's a wrestler himself you know was an all American at Fresno State and uh he goes he, he asked me I said no I think I want to pursue an Olympic dream and uh, he said okay as soon as you're done if you want you know we'll still be interested in managing you and and um I watched as the years passed. Uh, more and more guys came over. Kane Velasquez from wrestling, John Fitch from wrestling, Josh Koshak from wrestling. It's not just those guys picking that gym. You know, they go out and they kind of recruit guys to come in there. And him and uh, Crazy Bob, they uh, they want to find guys that can actually wrestle because it is kind of the base to start mixed martial arts. They teach us from our wrestling background, and uh, with that wrestling background, it allows us to uh, train hard and train at a high level and compete at a high level. So. Mainly because of Dwayne Zinkin, you know, and uh, then over the course of last year, it was uh, King Mo, who was just telling me I, he thinks I should do it, be decent at it or good at it, and, and uh, I tried it, you know, so I attributed it to him, and, and picking AKA was really because of Dwayne. Now, did you ever think of getting into MMA after you had competed at Oklahoma State, or was the Olympics the next step in your wrestling career? So did that ever enter your mind at all? You know, back when Dwayne first asked me, he was talking about the numbers that he was speaking, it intrigued me. But it didn't uh, kill my desire to, to represent the U.S. You know, it, it had been a lifelong dream of mine to be an Olympian in wrestling. You know, I remember in 1996, I uh, was at my, my house in Lafayette watching the Olympics and staying up till 2, 3 in the morning to watch Kendall Cross win his gold medal and watch Kurt Angle win his gold medal, watch Bruce Baumgartner get his third medal and, and Tom Brands win his gold medal. I sat there and I said, um, man, I want to I wanna be an Olympic champion. And from that day on, I knew that was my goal, and uh, I wouldn't feel comfortable cutting my wrestling short in order to pursue this. 
And Dwayne being the guy that he is, because he is a wrestler, he understands lifelong goals. You know, these aren't goals that we set as, as, as uh, 21, 22, 20-year-old kids. You know, we set these goals as, as teenagers to be Olympic champions. So I knew right after college I was going to continue to wrestle for a while, and I did, and I'm, I'm grateful that I did because it helped me. You know, it helped me to mature as, as a person, helped me to mature as, mature as a wrestler. And by maturing as a wrestler, it helped me to be a better fighter, even though I know I'm just starting kind of ahead of the curve for a guy that's only been doing it for 15 months, and I, I really attribute that to having my wrestling background. You know, you're getting a lot of that out because the name of the game now, if you don't have a wrestling background, you know, like you said, you – it's hard for guys to have that base because, you know, you can't come in here now and just stand and bang. You know, you, you look at you look at a guy like yourself, a guy that's another co-headliner with you, Tyron Woolley, who's going to be fighting in the main event on that card as well, a Kane Velasco, guys at your gym, a Josh Koscheck, Brock Lesnar, the name goes on, names go on and on and on, and they all have told us it all starts with my wrestling. So now looking at it, now what do you feel you need to improve on now? Because you did have a knockout in the – your two one in your two previous fights, you you know your stand up has gotten a lot better. Do you feel that's something you need to work on as the time progresses? Yeah, of course. You know you've got to continue to evolve, man. The sports, the sports, uh, it, it's getting better and better, and it it makes it more legitimate, man. Because guys are so much well rounded, so much more well rounded. Like George St. Pierre, Cain Velasquez, those guys are ideal fighters to to emulate because they can wrestle, they can do jujitsu, they can do the stand up. So. My goal is to be a complete mixed martial artist. You know, I, I've always committed myself to everything. I'm a very goal-oriented person. And um, my goals are to be the best in this. So I've got to evolve. I've got to get better in the stand-up. Um, I know that my stand-up isn't at a level with some the best guys in the world. So I've got to continue to improve in that area, and that's where I'm lacking. You know, I've, I've, I've gotten pretty decent at, at top control in my jiu-jitsu, and, and um, I'm working bottom control. You know, You know, a lot of wrestlers, especially good wrestlers, they ignore that because they don't think they're ever going to be taken down. But, you know, that's something that we don't do here. You know, we focus in every single position. And I think by far stand-up is, is the area that I've got to improve in the most. Now, go right back to the Olympics. Really quick. How did it – what's the feeling like, you know, when you're at the Olympics representing your country, especially with the birthplace of the Olympics when it happened in Athens, Greece? There's nothing like it, man. You know, I've, uh, I've, I've wrestled in the world championships. I wrestled in Madison Square Garden. I fought on TV. I've done a lot of special things, and, and, and there is nothing like walking out to the Olympic Games. I, I think in terms of chills, it was when Kane came out to fight at the UFC for his title. I was like, this moment is amazing. But then when you think about that, it's like a fraction. It's like one-fourth, one-fifth of what you felt walking out of the tunnel in front of 100,000 people at the Olympic opening ceremony. You know, it's like a fraction. It, the, the UFC and the MMA world can only, you can only, they can only meet a, a fraction of what the coverage that the, the Olympics get. And then the joy you get in knowing that I'm not representing Oklahoma State anymore. I'm not representing AKA. I'm not representing Zinkin Entertainment or Daniel Cormier and my family. I'm representing everybody in the United States of America. It's a, it's a feeling that, that, that I really can't do it justice. So to tell you, I would, I would be lying. I can't lie to you. I don't. I don't know you well enough to lie to you. <laughs> I, don't, I can't sit here and say I can explain to you what it felt like because it, it's really a feeling uh, that nothing has ever even come close to. What's a more pressure-packed situation, going into a big fight or competing in the Olympics? It has to be the Olympic Games because I love it. you got to understand the difference in me doing mixed martial arts. I'm just starting. I haven't had the chance to fall in love with it yet. I fell in love with wrestling at 10 years old. 
and then, and then for 20 years I wrestled. You know, I love that sport. It means so much to me to be successful and to do well that um, nothing could compare, you know. So up to this point, I haven't had the chance to fall in love with mixed martial arts yet. You know, it's a, it's a, a great sport, and I really, really enjoy it. Uh, you know, I, I wrestled for a lifetime. What got you in the wrestling? You just said you started. I saw that earlier. And I was doing some research on you the past couple of days. What got? I saw that you started at ten years old. What got you so infatuated with the sport of wrestling? You know, initially we were just kind of. My mom. I was a really, really hyper kid. Like I was, I was so <laughs> hyper and active. It was ridiculous. So, like my mom would put mattresses out in the backyard for me and all my friends to wrestle because I was a huge WWF fan. So okay. we would jump off the fence, we would dump dive on top of each other, we would do all this crazy stuff in order to, to she would put these things out there to kill my energy, you know, I was <laughs> way too much. So uh so um one day me and my friend uh PJ we were in the front of the school. I actually lived a hundred yards from the high school and back when I was growing up, you know, that age, eighty nine, hey, to have a football tee, you remember those little orange football tees? I do I had one. Love it. To have one of those was, like, a big deal. <laughs> exactly. So, like, instead of having your friend hold the ball like Charlie Brown, you actually had a tee. Exactly. We would kick the tee, and uh, we'd kick the ball off the tee, and we'd argue about who'd have to go chase the ball down because we were both bigger kids. You know? Yeah. And um, we started fighting, man. We started fighting right there in the front of the thing, and um, the wrestling coach, his name is Stephen Lotti, still a good friend of mine, he came out and he said, uh, you guys a rough area. He goes, you got two ways of going in your life. You know, he goes, why not do something more positive? You know, he goes, you're a kid. You're out here fighting in the, in the streets. He goes, come out and try wrestling. So we went in the next day because he had a junior club. And um, I was like, okay, this is going to be some WWF stuff, man. This is my way of getting into the WWF because I saw the Steiner brothers. You know, they'd wear the singlets. So I'm like, okay, this is my way of getting into the WWF. Man, the very first position they were doing was a uh, parterre position, top and bottom. They're like, okay, we're going to show you a stand-up. I'm like, okay, let's learn to stand-up. Tell me, get in the referee's position on your hands and knees, man, with a guy jumping behind you? <laughs> Freaked me out. I was like, holy cow. I was like, I, I was like, I don't know about this sport. But then I started learning it, man. And I was like, it's a great sport. It's like, it's fun. It's you and you alone. Um, it's commitment. It's dedication. It's watching those guys that were in high school was all I got to see. But watching those guys in high school, how hard they trained. I was like, you know, I, I like the sport, and I didn't have success. I was very, very bad in the beginning. My little brother, who was six at the time, was actually a lot better than I was in the beginning. You know, he was smaller, but then I kept doing it, kept doing it, and then right around when I was like 12, I actually started getting a little better. But for the first couple of years, man, I was bad. He is he is in the co-main event at the Strike Force Challengers 13 card against Devin Cole. This coming Friday night, live on Showtime, out in Nashville, Tennessee, 11 Eastern, 10 Central. Daniel Cormier joining us right here on SportstownChicago.com. Right where you said the pro wrestling thing, before we start talking about the fight coming up here, who was your favorite WWF wrestler? I was a big Sting fan, man. Like, you know, like back in the day when you're a kid, you're taught not to like the villain. Like, Exactly. You're, you know, like they, 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 they make you hate Ric Flair. But then when I look back, I'm like, I really do like Ric Flair. So as an adult, my favorite wrestler is Ric Flair. I still watch YouTube videos. But as a kid, I like Sting. You know, he was the blonde-headed guy, face paint. He was like a superhero. You know, so I was like, exactly. like colorful pants, pink, blue. What is that, that? Uh, that fluorescent pink color. Exactly. You know, with yellow and, and everything. He was just like real loud. You know, he was, I bought into it 100%. You know, I love Sting. But then as I've gotten older, 
I really like Ric Flair, man. I watch his videos all the time. I'm like, how did I just like this? Did you did you ever consider going to the WWE after after what happened after your college career at Oklahoma State? You know what what happened after the Olympics? After your amateur wrestling career was over, was that ever considered? Yeah, man. I thought about it in 2004, man. I uh, I did an appearance for TNA Wrestling. Um, where I, Joe Williams and I walked down to the cave, to the ring and got introduced, and we did like a tag team walkout, and it was sick how passionate the fans were. And then I went to like two or three WWF shows, man. One time their tour was running around uh, Oklahoma. So okay. they had a Monday Night Raw in Tulsa, and then they had a dark show in Oklahoma City or something, like SmackDown or something. So I went and sat right next to the ring and, and got to go backstage and meet all the guys and, I'm telling you, it was something that they, they almost had me, man. But then Kurt Angle said something that was really, it stuck with me. He goes, you're a top five in the world consistently. You know, he goes, because at, at that point, I was fifth in 2003, and I was fourth in Athens. So he was like, you're a top top five guy in the world consistently. He goes, this will always be there for you. He goes, do not cut your wrestling career short. And so I kept doing it. And uh, then mixed martial arts is uh, is what I picked. Now we're going to jump a little bit forward here. You fought five times in 2010. Why did you want to fight so many times in 2010? Because that's really unheard of of guys fighting that many times in one year. I just need experience. You know, like I, I'm 31 years old, man. I'm not a young kid, you know. I'm, I'm, I'm 31 years old, so my window isn't as big as John Jones or Phil Davis or any of those guys. You know, I've got to, I've got to be fighting and fighting often. And um, I wanted to get some experience. You know, I wanted to do that in the beginning, but um, I just wasn't good enough. Bob Cook, Javier Mendez, and those guys, they uh, they reeled me in. And uh, when they started feeling comfortable with me uh, being good enough, they allowed me to fight. Made me better. Now, what led you to go to Strikeforce? Uh, my management team and I made the decision really early that uh, Strikeforce was a good option. And uh, the contract was good, the stability of it. And I like that they were willing to take a chance on me right out the shoot. Now you're fighting Devin Cole. You're in the Col- you're in the Cole main event. You know the challengers cards are getting more and more bigger. They're getting more tense. You're getting a lot of better fights. How do you feel your progression has gone so far? Because you went from you haven't fought for Strike Force since August when you fought Jason Riley out in Houston and you were on the undercard. Your fight did get aired. How do you feel your progression has gone so far? Do you feel you're going the way you want to go, or are you ready after this fight coming up? If you're victorious, do you feel like you're ready to get? It in the top dogs in the heavyweight division because quite arguably Strikeforce has the best heavyweight division in the world today. Um, I, I think I think I'm right on the cusp whether or not I'm ready or not. You know, it's like after a while, man. You uh, you uh, you, when you when you win enough and win impressively, uh, eventually you're going to have to do it. It's not whether or not you feel okay. I'm comfortable enough to fight the best guys in the world. No, man. With success, you have to step up, you know, so at some point I'm going to have to. I really appreciate the path that Strike Force has allowed me to take. They've taken their time with me. They haven't rushed me. And they're giving me fights where I'm progressing at a, at a, at a natural rate. You know, I don't, I'm not ready to fight Alistair Overeem or Fedor Emelianenko or Fabrizio Verdun. It's not, I'm not ready for those guys yet. And I appreciate Strike Force taking the time with me to build me and allow me to fight the fights that are good for me at this point in my career. You got a question here I got. It was from the underground. They want me to ask you, are you going to remain at heavyweight or are you ever going to drop down to 205? You've been winning big at heavyweight, but it, but it seems like you're carrying a lot of extra weight. It's that they say you might even be better at light heavyweight. So is that would that um, ever be an option? It just depends. You know, it depends on um, on what me and Bob and Dwayne and Hav and all those guys decide. Right now, they don't feel that it's my uh, it's in my best interest. Right now, I'm, 
my it's in my best interest is for me to get better. You know, I need to get better at fighting and not focus on the weight cutting. I can honestly tell you that when I was wrestling, uh, 50 or 60% of my focus was on weight cutting. And that's probably why I didn't accomplish my goals at, that I set out for myself to be an Olympic champion. So um, in terms of in terms of physique, I mean, it's, it's you know, it, it is what it is. You know, guys are going to come in all different shapes and sizes, you know. In reality, it, it, it's um, to be muscled up and rocked up like that, yeah, that's fine. But, you know, it, it, it's not bad to, to, to have a different shape to you. You know, this isn't a bodybuilding competition. It's a fight, you know. So, um, you are who you are. You know, you, you deal with you deal with you deal with it, and, and remain positive in every situation. You know, you. I think people need to really. I think it's not about that. You know, it's about the product that's out there in the fights that guys are putting on. If you enjoy the way I fight, then that's enough. You know, it didn't seem to hinder Fedor all that time. You know, Fabricio's not the most rocked up guy in the world. You know, some of the, it's a new thing, you know, with the Brock Lesnar's and the, and the Alistair Overeem's running around looking like bodybuilders that people expect everybody to look that way. But in reality, it's, uh, it's, it's people come in different shapes and sizes. Um, it would be up to my team if they decided that I needed to go down. And if they did, I would, um, is it, I don't know. It's uh, it's up to it's up to me and my team to make that decision. He is in the co-main event of the Strike Force Challengers 13 card this coming Friday night, January 7th, out at the Nashville Municipal Auditorium out in Nashville, Tennessee, against Stephen Cole. Daniel Cormier joining us right here on SportstownChicago.com. Daniel, how much do you know about Devin Cole? I've, I've watched Devin fight. I know that he's a very very good fighter, durable, really really experienced. You know, um, I I truly. You know, he's another step up in competition from what I've been fighting. You know, from from uh, Tony Johnson to Jason Riley to Soa Palele to uh, Devin Cole, it's a constant progression that I'm on. And Devin's a lot better than those guys. You know, he's been in there with some of the best fighters in the world, and I've watched him compete against the best fighters in the world. He hasn't won in a lot of those situations, but he's fought and he's competed well. So I'm, um, I'm really prepared. I've trained extremely, extremely hard, and I've uh, – I've, uh, I feel I feel good. I feel good going into this fight. Can you give us a prediction? Um, I'm just prepared for a tough fight, man. You know, whether it be a stoppage or whatever. You know, I'm just going to let the fight play out as it is. I've trained in all situations, and I'm prepared to fight in all situations. So I'm just going to take it as it goes. Uh, hopefully I can get another stoppage because that seems to be what people want to see. People don't want to see a guy like me wrestling and holding guys down. You know, so hopefully I can get another stoppage if I can. Um, great. You know, if, if not, you know, I'm going to be working towards finishing the whole time. I know you're from Louisiana. What, are you a Saints fan, or are you now, since you're out in California, training out there a lot, or have you become a 49ers fan or a Raiders fan? I'm a huge Saints fan, man. I went to the, uh, to the Saints games with, uh, here in San Francisco with my fight shorts from last, last fight with the Fleur de Lee on it over my jeans with a Saint t-shirt and a Saints hat, man. I'm a huge New Orleans Saints fan. I have the NFL Sunday ticket so I don't miss any games here. What do you think of their matchup coming up with the Seahawks? Um, I, that's a game we can win. NFC West is the weakest division in football. Oh, God, I mean, yeah. That's all what it is. You, know, you, get, you win the division <laughs> with a 7-9 record. It's a game we should win, uh, but then it gets tough. I, I think the Saints are getting healthy at the right time. You know, they, they were a lot of injuries. And to finish 11-5 and five with all the injuries to the team, I mean, shoot, Darren Sharper hardly played all year. At one point, we had both of our starting cornerbacks out. Reggie Bush was out for six weeks with a broken leg. Chris Ivory's been out for a, a while. Pierre Thomas missed the whole season. Uh, we just had so many injuries over the course of the year, and to be sitting at 11 and five, 
going into the playoffs with a wild card game in Seattle. <laughs> I mean, I don't think we could have uh, uh, asked for anything better, to be honest with you. Now, you know if you win. Now, you're in Chicago now. You're on a show in Chicago, and you know if the Saints win – the ball bounces right. It's gonna be looking like you're gonna be facing my Chicago Bears. What do you think of yeah. my What do you think of my Chicago Bears? Uh, I think the Bears are good, man. I think honestly, I think the Bears are good. I think your quarterback's a little too inconsistent, too up and down the, for them to win the championship. I think you need a great quarterback and shown to to win a championship. And as talented as he is, too up and down, man. I I think that's a game that we can win. It won't help to be playing outside in uh in Chicago, but. You know, it is what it is. Last time we played there for the NFC Championship, we got smoked. I think in order for him to win, you you guys are going to need a better quarterback. I mean, look at him, man. Last year, the Saints won great quarterback in Drew Brees. He had a great year. This year, he's not as up and down, so I'm not as confident. But we, beat you, with, as, uh, but we beat you with Rex Grossman as our quarterback in 2007. But you didn't win the championship, though. That is true. That about, is, that is very true, my man. I'm talking about winning championships, you know, because at the end of the day, in 2007, yeah, we lost to you guys, right? But you ended up losing, too. We all ended the season with a, with a loss. Exactly. The only team that won that title was the team that won the Super Bowl. But if we list the last four Super Bowl champions, who I can't really remember, you've got to think great quarterbacks. Like, even when Eli Manning and the Giants won it, you know, he, he outplayed Tom Brady, but good quarterback, great quarterback. Peyton Manning won one recently, great quarterback. Drew Brees had a great year last year, great quarterback. I don't know who won it the year before the Saints did, but... It, it just, you, I mean, I think he's too inconsistent to, to, to win a championship. You got a final question here from one of our fans here. They want to know: Did you teach Kane that awesome takedown escape he used against Brock? That was slick as hell. The uh, it's a uh, realistically, Kane and I worked on that position a million times. Like over the course of uh, training, I'm surprised he didn't show it on the countdown show or his uh, as his three week show because we did it every day. And also the takedown that he did to take Brock down is something that we worked on over and over and over again. So it's muscle memory, man. To do something a thousand times over the course of six weeks, you are going to be able to do it in a fight. But I can't sit here and take credit for, for Kane getting up for Brock in that situation because I think that goes to Tom Ortiz, his college wrestling coach. Kane was a difficult guy to hold on the ground when he was wrestling heavyweight in college. And he was wrestling this 285-pound guy. So that's why maybe the general public didn't think that Kane could get up from Brock. But we knew knowing Kane's background. You know, he would get up from Steve Mako. He'd get up from Tommy Rollins and, and uh, Cole Conrad. He, he was getting up from some of the best heavyweights we've had in the U.S. in the last 10 years. So uh, that wasn't that big a concern, uh, him getting up from Brock. We just knew that at some point he would get taken down and he just needed to implement that part of the game plan, and he did. And I think it changed the fight because Brock had to work so hard to get the takedowns that it, it wore him out. How can the fans reach Daniel Cormier? Um, Twitter.com. At Cormier 2010, I'm probably going to be changing it. I'm looking for new names because 2010 is <laughs> over again. And then on Facebook, just search Daniel Cormier, man. I accept all friends' requests and everything, man. Just uh, reach, reach me on Twitter. Reach me on Facebook. I'm always here. He will be he will be in the co-main event against Devin Cole this coming Friday night, January 7th at the Nashville Municipal Auditorium out in Nashville, Tennessee, live on Showtime, 11 Eastern, 10 Central. Daniel, what do you want to say to the fans? Uh, just thank you for all the support, man. Tune in to Showtime on Friday. Uh, it's a free preview weekend, so if you have cable, you have Showtime. You don't even have to have purchased the, the subscription. If you have show, if you have cable, you have Showtime. So tune in. It's going to be a great fight card. Uh, Ovin St. Prue fighting uh, Abongo. Me and uh, Devin Cole and Tyron Woodley. It's a great stack challengers card. I don't think you can ask for anything more. 
going into the uh, new year. It's a great way for Strike Force to kick off 2010. I know it's a great show. They got a lot of great shows coming up. They got your show coming up Friday night. They got the show at the end of the month. And now I just been reported today they got a show coming up in February out in New Jersey starting the heavyweight tournament. But Daniel, but Daniel, thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule today. It was an honor to talk to you. Finally, it was a good, good chance to talk to you. And we will see you fighting this coming Friday night. And we will talk to you real soon, buddy. And the best of luck. Hey, thanks, man. Appreciate it.